So how tonight's going to run? Actually, it's going to take this thing off. This thing. Oh, it comes off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Technology, it's insane. Um, oh, I actually just realised I left my phone, which has a little quote that I want to read um, down the back room. That would be so great. Thank you, Annalise. So how we're going to do this? Annalise and I are going to tag team. So tonight we are learning about the prophetic. So as a community, um, since Pentecost Sunday, which was like. I don't even know, a couple months ago now, we have been learning about um, the gifts of the Spirit and how those are given um, to Jesus' followers um, for the life of the world um, so that we can be in relationship with God and be a blessing um, to those around us. And so tonight, thank you so much, tonight um, I'm going to frame, I guess, some more general thoughts around the prophetic um, and a bit of like different kinds of the prophetic that we see in scripture and that we see today. And then Annalise is going to go into a bit more of the kind of experiential, how's this looked in my life and um, how do I encounter God in this way? Um, So we're going to go kind of wide down to narrow. So starting off, I'm going to read to you guys from Ephesians 4, which is um, just a little thing that helps us to remember and reframe what the gifts of the Spirit are about. So it says, the gifts of the Spirit are to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So the prophetic. The role of the prophetic is to hear God's truth and to communicate it. Communicating um, the message of how to be faithful to Jesus in a particular context, um, in a particular space or time. How to be faithful to the way of Jesus. And there's three different ways that we can think about the prophetic. So the first one that we're going to um, talk about is the spoken prophetic. So this is kind of um, the realm of like words of encouragement, maybe words of insight, And um, as Annalise and I were preparing to share, we were reflecting on how necessary it is in our faith for us to have courage and how um, in order to trust God, in order to um, follow Jesus, courage is a core value of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And it really struck me this morning that the word encouragement is around kind of cultivating courage and that the prophetic, um, the spoken prophetic helps to cultivate courage and to give Um, direction and insight. So Annalise is going to speak to that a bit more later on. The second type of prophetic that we see is the social prophetic. And this is around the challenging of unjust structures or social norms or kind of sacred cows that are hanging around, idols of culture. So in scripture, um, there's a bunch of different books in the Old Testament of different prophets, major prophets, minor prophets, big books, little books, and the role of the prophets um, in those contexts was to say to the people, hey, you've actually become blind, you've normalised all these really cruddy ways of living and treating your neighbours, can't you see there's actually um, a call of God to act justly, to act with mercy, and this is what this looks like, you're kind of heading this way and you need to redirect and go this way. So the the social prophetic is to um, challenge those unjust structures. So in preparing um, for tonight, uh, about a month ago, I had a conversation with Era about the prophetic and um, them kind of 
following that, um, Era sent me through a, th- a few thoughts around this. And I think what's interesting is that Era, um, for those of you who don't know, grew up in Taiwan and moved to Aotearoa like, quite late in the piece. And I think there's something interesting that happens when we land into a new cultural context where we're able to see things a little bit differently that other people have just got used to. Um, it's kind of like, what's that saying? The fish don't talk about the water. It's like when you're in the water. Is that a saying? Do people know that? No. Okay, sweet. You're so empowered now. <laughs> um, when things are just around us, we can kind of just get used to them and they seem implicit. They just seem like, oh, this is just how it is. And um, when we come into a place that's different to us, we're able to see things in a fresh way. And so Era um, and I were talking about this, and um, some of the thoughts that that Era shared was, um, I guess, around how in Western culture there can be um, maybe a bit of a cultural idol around individualism and autonomy and kind of self-actualization. So sort of you do you. And... um, In the course of this conversation, um, we were talking about how the Ten Commandments start with, I am the Lord your God, and how Jesus um, came saying, come follow me, and that part of acknowledging God as Lord, part of acknowledging Jesus as one that we're following after, is actually at odds with a totally self-sufficient, individualistic, I'm totally autonomous as a human kind of concept. So there's a bit of a rub there. So, yeah, I think a good question um, for us when we think about this is, are we comfortable with the idea of God as sovereign of our lives, as as a Lord, as one who leads us? And our answer to that question, how our level of comfort around being led by God, is going to influence, I guess, our openness to hearing from God and listening. Just like anybody that um, you maybe trust their opinion to speak into your life and for them to give you wisdom or um, to lead you, how um, how much you're willing to open yourself up to them is going to affect how willing you are to actually listen, hear, and then respond to that. And I think there's, there's an interesting example that um, Era and I were talking about. So... Um, which is around, I guess there's a metaphor in Revelation, which is around um, God expressing to the people through um, the prophet John, um, who was the guy that kind of had the revelation and wrote Revelation, which is a crazy book, if if you haven't read it. Man, there's a lot going on there. Um, Some crazy poetry and some crazy imagery. Um, But one of the metaphors in it is around um, hot water and lukewarm water. And it says... But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And yeah, in this conversation Erin and I were having, it was around how in Western idols, our respect for each other's individualism and freedom of choice, which are actually important, like good things, sometimes can run like quite a long way. And um, in the process of that, we can end up in kind of lukewarm water. And so... Yeah, or trying to kind of create balance and we end up mixing hot and cold and it's kind of like neither. And so an example that we were talking about was the kind of Black Lives Matter, which is trying to champion um, saying actually there has been a real discrimination um, in the world around the value on black lives and how then there's been this reaction to this which says all lives matter, like some people are saying that. 
And Ira's um, thoughts around that was that's actually kind of a lukewarm approach that's saying, um, let's take some cold water and add it to this hot water and try and create balance. Um, and I thought, I thought that was a really interesting example, kind of looking at um, the social prophetic around calling out injustice and then how, um, yeah, sometimes in our desire, I don't know, to, I don't know, respect everybody's individualism, there can be this kind of funny um, placating down to lukewarmness. So I think it's interesting if we look at scripture through, um, throughout scripture, the prophets often had quite a hard time, like they had pretty stink lives because they would be calling out things that were going on in the culture that made people feel very uncomfortable. And today, when people call out things in a culture, all of us will have experienced times of feeling uncomfortable. And I guess it's good for us to reckon with like, oh, is this sort of kind of uncomfortable that actually is speaking, um, there's some of God's truth that's speaking through this that's a good uncomfortable for me to reckon with. Um, and that that actually might kind of clash with some of our own individualism and autonomy. So those are some of the kind of cultural idols of today. Those weren't the ones back in, in the Old Testament. They had some other issues going on. But the social prophetic helps to point us to the fact that there's um, some sacred cows we end up kind of putting up on a pedestal, pedestal in society and um, we can become a bit blind to them and it's really important. Um, God raises up prophets to call people away from that idolatry, from those things. Yeah, the, the final point from um, the kind of cordial I had with, with Era was that um, Western ideals, when they, when they take themselves too seriously, can create a culture where it's hard to share prophetic wisdom with one another and respond to the prophetic. We can and should respect the different roles each of us has to play, but we shouldn't fear calling out the truth of God in each other as we collectively work together being the body of Christ. So that's that's some thoughts on the social prophetic. And then the third one is the embodied prophetic. So who here has read the, the book of Hosea? It's like quite a gnarly book, eh? I, I reread this last night. So Hosea was a prophet in the Old Testament, where, and God invited him to um, or really strong, not invited, probably is a bit casual language. Seems like God really said, Hosea, what I want you to do is I want you to marry um, a woman that's going to be unfaithful to you. I want you to marry um, a prostitute and your life is going to be um, a story that plays out the story of what's going on at a bigger, st bigger scale across society. So um, my people, Israel, um, have been unfaithful to me. They keep cheating on me, keep kind of going the other way. And I'm going to ask you to marry someone who is going to be unfaithful to you as a way of showing that this is what's going on at a bigger level. So Hosea and Ezekiel had a similar kind of um, call to be an embodied prophet and to actually demonstrate through their lives um, a particular story. Um, and that's not the call we get today. Like the, the prophetic, the embodied prophetic today um, isn't to kind of just go marry someone that's going to be unfaithful to you. That's not what I'm saying. But... Um, <laughs> The call to embody the prophetic is to let your whole life speak as a prophetic alternative. So not just um, to use your words um, to 
I guess, encourage an individual or to challenge structures, but to actually organize and reorganize your life in a way that embodies a prophetic alternative. So this morning, Annalise and I were out at Lyle Bay, and um, we were sharing out there, and Abby and Janie Sims, who some of you will know, um, they support um, uh, teenage mums who um, don't have kind of good support structures um, in a space called the House of Grace, um, and they share their family and they share their time, and um, Abby is um, a paediatric nurse, and um, they share their resources to care for and support women who, um, yeah, otherwise would be finding it really hard to be solo teenage mums. And um, I was saying to them, you guys actually um, embody a prophetic alternative. You've given up some of your autonomy. You've given up some of your privacy in order to bless people who would otherwise be struggling and who otherwise wouldn't have a lot of options. And that embodies um, God's heart for those who are marginalized and who are down on their luck. And in this community, um, a bunch of us participate in um, choosing things that embody a prophetic alternative. So we have um, chapters where people say, I'm going to really, um, I'm going to jump in and live with a bunch of people who are different from me, and I'm going to commit to rhythms of prayer and of kind of spiritual formation and of mission, and that's going to rub me up the wrong way because I'm going to sometimes get really frustrated with how that curbs um, my desire to do different things, um, and Maybe every Wednesday you don't really feel like just sitting in a room sharing vulnerably about your faith with people. You kind of just want to be at the movies with your friends. But um, through our rhythm of intentional community, we say, oh, we're actually going to embody a prophetic alternative, um, a way of sharing life together collectively, of sharing, um, yeah, just a different vision of what it looks like to um, express your faith and to have that affect every area of your life. So that's one way that in this community we have said, oh, we actually want to embody an alternative way of living. Um, Yeah, so there's there's lots of different ways this can show up. And as I said um, earlier, the role of the prophet is often, um, it's like quite, can be quite hard and heavy work. I was thinking about um, kind of modern examples of um, people that embody the social prophetic and was thinking about Martin Luther King Jr., and um, how I guess his I have a dream speech, which has become famous around the world, was a vision and was a kind of prophetic, um, yeah, prophetic vision for how things could be different in the world. And he challenged so many unjust structures and he was assassinated. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of, there's a parallel between how in scripture and in modern life, um, the, the role of the prophetic is a, a one is one of struggle. And so, yeah, coming coming into the end of, of my piece around this, um, I think in the church we have often um, we've kind of reduced the role of the social and the embodied prophetic, and we've kind of gone more big on the the spoken prophetic. Um, I'm not entirely sure why that is. I, I kind of have some hunches around. Um, yeah, maybe the way that individualism has kind of like made us feel like we can't, um, I don't know, speak into each other's lives in other ways, or um, maybe the church has become a bit timid around actually challenging unjust structures. I have a few thoughts on that, but not time for them here. But anyway, I think in the main, um, 
there's a real invitation for us to reclaim the space of the social prophetic and of the embodied prophetic. Because we all know that if you just give lip service to something um, and don't actually live it out with your life, there can be a real, um, it really rubs on your integrity. I think that's a thing that a lot of us struggle with each day and um, kind of more and more in modern life as we have access to a lot of information. There's been studies that show how there's an increasing gap between what we know about something and what we do about it, the gap between um, information and action. And um, I guess in our journey with following God, it's one thing to hear, but it's another thing to actually respond with your life. And that's the what makes prophecy complete, the hearing and the responding. So yeah, I just wanted to, to finish with a slightly light-hearted anecdote that Andy Hockey shared with me yesterday, which is, um, who here has heard of coffee and toast? Not just as like general concepts, but like the specific, yeah, great. So um, there's uh, a crew that, how many years has coffee and toast been going now? Do you want to tell me? Coffee? It'd be about six years or something. Six, yeah, seven, seven years. So there's a crew who live in Newtown, who, um, some of whom... Uh, used to go to Blueprint, and they started hosting on Saturday morning a space of coffee and toast, and have faithfully been holding down that rhythm of inviting people over for coffee and toast during that time. And so Andy, Andy was there yesterday, coffee and toast, and was spinning me this yarn about um, how for an hour or so they were talking about politics and about liberals and conservatives and different ideologies. And um, Mason Ward, who is um, a bit of a bit of a Notorious figure. He's at Blueprint for a, a number of years and is now um, with the crew out in Lyle Bay. He's a sheet metal welder. And um, I saw him this morning and he said, Rose, you know, I dropped out of high school. I work in the trades. I'm not an intellectual. Sometimes in church, people are using big words. I don't know what they mean. He's like, I show up anyway. Um, and I said, oh, Mace, I heard a great yarn from, from Coffee and Toast yesterday that... Um, the, the kind of line that was pulled out is, um, but will it bend sheet metal and will it transform lives? Like you can, you can use your big words, you can pull out your big ideologies, but will it bend sheet metal and will it transform lives? And Mace is just such a down-home, on-the-tools kind of guy. Um, I hope you all get the chance to meet him if you haven't. And um, that's, I guess, the, the thought I want to leave you guys around the, with the prophetic is that um, will the prophetic... Um, being metal and transform lives, like actually our words and our actions coming together to bring about um, God's kingdom vision of justice. And yeah, that's the end of my rant, and I'm going to invite Unleashed to share how the prophetic has looked in her life. Super psyched to be speaking for you guys. Um, as it was said, this is my first time. So. Um, <laughs> So, I have a bit of a story that I want to tell you guys to start off, and it's about the first time that I ever shared a picture in front of the church or in front of a decently sized group. Um, I was about 14 or 15 at the time, and I remember seeing people would get up in front of church and they would like share these wonderful pictures and people would respond, and that was like super inspiring and cool. And then God gave me a picture and he told me that he wanted me to go up the front and do that. 
and I was absolutely terrified. <laughs> it was the last thing that I wanted to do. Um, and I just remember it was during like worship on Sunday and it was this really nice quintessential picture of like this past going through this archway. Really nice, peaceful, like not super combative or opposing towards somebody. Um, and I, but in thinking about this picture, I just remember thinking, what is that supposed to mean? Um, I was trying to sort of like think, this is a bit weird um, and wasn't entirely sure but I couldn't shake it from my mind. And the more I thought about it, the more God revealed to me, and it kind of became this all-consuming thing. Um, but then as we were nearing the end of worship, the pastor encouraged anybody who had received a picture of a word to get up and share that in front of the church. Uh, which, as I've said, was the last thing I wanted to do. Um, and to be honest, I kind of had that little self-doubt. I like was like, is this even from God, like, is this really something that I should, like, get up in front of people and share? And one of the, like, key doubts in my mind at that moment was just, what was so special about me that God would choose to speak through me for others? So I didn't get up and share it, but the next week I was given the same picture <laughs> and felt even more strongly that I was supposed to get up in front of the church and share it. Because God doesn't let up when he wants you to do something. Um, and so when the pastor got up again and asked people to share, I did that classic thing where you dither, where you wait to see if other people go up first. And you're like, I'll go up after the next person. And then that person goes up and you're like, I'll go up after the next person. And like after a while, it's like three or four people have gone up and you're still like sitting in your seat. Um, but it just got to this point where I don't even know what came over me. I just ended up standing up. And kind of like once I was standing up, it was pretty noticeable. Um, but it made it that much easier to like take that first step. And then the next one, and before I knew it, I was standing in front of the church. And my hands were shaking and I was sharing this picture that God had given me. I'm telling this story because I think it illustrates my journey of pursuing the prophetic re really well. My experience in this sphere has been heavily defined by two things, learning obedience and stepping out in faith. Stepping out in faith and accepting that we may not get things wrong, like right and we may actually get them wrong is really a really important part of pursuing the prophetic, or at least that's my experience. For a long time, I really struggled with prayer and hearing from God. You know that thing where you feel pressure to perform? And I just always had this desire to have something really powerful to share. For me, there was a lot of social pressure to be able to pray eloquently, particularly around others. You know, you have that friend who... When they open their mouth or whenever they pray, it's like poetry. It's beautiful. And then you're like, please, God, I'm praying for this. Oh, and that thing that I forgot, and you're just stumbling over your words and you're trying, but it's not coming out anywhere near as nicely as the person before you. Um, I ended up just getting stuck in my own head and became hyper-conscious of what 
others thought of me in that space and started to forget about and just not even really care about what God thought of me in that space. It took time and finding my own way of connecting with God for me to actually be able to start to really hear from him and develop some confidence in that area. But all through this whole process, I had to learn to fail. Because it's kind of hard to adopt a posture of humility if you've never learned to fail. And in my experience, humility plays a big part in obedience. Failure seems scary. And today it is very easy to do anything and not be afraid to get it wrong because so much of our lives can be planned out to the nth degree. We don't need to worry about the weather or what's going on in other parts of the world or even what the traffic is doing when we're having to head to our friend's house in three hours. We can simply just look it up. And as a result, we've kind of lost our sense of uncertainty. We don't need to try and wonder or puzzle over things anymore. But it's important to remember that we are only human. We make mistakes. And you're not always going to be able to plan everything to the nth degree. The important thing I found in this whole process is that we are only human. And if you let fear get in the way, you're not even going to try. By accepting that we may not always get it right, we're able to hold ourselves in the prophetic process quite lightly. And I found that that's actually quite key. What really matters at the end of the day is that you choose to pursue God's voice with the hope of speaking life. Because at the end of the day, that's what it is for me, is I'm hoping to speak life into someone or something. When pursuing the prophetic, it is important to center yourself in order to overcome fear and hear God's voice. I'm now going to speak a little bit about what that process looks like for me, and it might sound a little bit wishy-washy, but bear with me. So a couple of years ago, I began to step into that space of meeting God by breathing. And I might know that might seem a bit self-explanatory. We all need to breathe. In fact, it's very important that we continue to breathe. Um, but I found that stopping and taking a moment to breathe in the Holy Spirit really helped me. And it's a practice that I now always utilize at the start of prayer or when I'm hoping to meet with God. It goes beyond just taking a breath. It's about welcoming God into that space, into me, and releasing control. In that moment, it's not me who is sharing truth. It is God speaking through me. I breathe in the Holy Spirit. I breathe out my earthly expectations and control, that's very important, and allow the spirit to settle in me. 
earlier this week, I was helpfully informed by my flatmate Jessie that this is a contemplative practice known as breath prayer. <laughs> Which, up until now, I thought I was that like cool person who had discovered something new, some new way of connecting with God, and I found out someone else had already done it. <laughs> found over time, the more I engage with God and the Holy Spirit in this way, the more he speaks to me, and as a result, often a picture or a word will come during that initial moment of surrender, because that is what it is, is I'm surrendering to God. I won't share that picture with a person or group straight away. I'll pray for them whilst holding that gift, and try to discern what God might be saying. I don't know about you guys, but for me, I'm quite a visual person, so I tend to get pictures or even sensations rather than just like a straight word. So all through that process, I'll be examining that picture and letting God speak through that process before bringing it to the personal group in question. Sometimes as I'm sharing that picture, like I'm actually speaking to them and um, telling them what I've discerned, God will just take over. And he will actually physically use my mouth to speak words or meaning that are beyond me, like words and, or insight that I could have never even comprehended. And I like I'm speaking, but it's like this isn't working, it's simply coming out here. And all through this process, it's really important for me to hold my place lightly. It's God, it's not me who is providing wisdom and speaking life. My desire is always to speak life into someone and be obedient to God in that space. As I mentioned earlier, sometimes God will speak to me through sensations. These could be the feeling of a weight, a texture, or even just a sense of anxiety. These prophetic sensations aren't as common for me, but they do lend valuable insight when discerning the prophetic. For example, say I receive a picture of a hand stroking down someone's arm. Initially it might seem comforting, but then the picture is accompanied by the sensation of rubbing rough sandpaper against your skin. It takes on a completely different meaning. <laughs> Without that sensation, I would struggle to understand God's truth, and if I'm not careful, could potentially cause pain or distress. Speaking prophetically into someone's life isn't easy, and it shouldn't be. But if you enter into that space, seeking life, restoration, and God's truth, then it has the possibility to actually be really beautiful. I have a story that I think illustrates prophetic process as I experience it really well. Most of you guys will know Zoe Gleetworth, you'll know how enthusiastic and exuberant she is and how wonderful. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that shouldn't be surprising, Zoe. <laughs> anyway, um, over a year ago, I was on prayer ministry at the cross and Zoe came up and she wanted prayer. That's normally why people go up to the cross. She was like a bit uncertain, she was trying to find some meaning and just 
see beyond herself. She wanted a little bit of wisdom. So I was just like, yep, yeah, I can pray for that. And as we all praying, I got this picture of her digging in this hard, like, dirt and mud. And there was this gold just under the surface, but she had her eyes closed so she couldn't actually see it. I shared this picture with Zoe, and it really resonated with her. So we went to pray into that, and as we were praying into that, God gave, um, just kind of, like, I got the sensation on my hands, and God was like, I want you to put your hands over her eyes. Which, normally I'm used to asking if I can place my hand on someone's shoulder, but placing your hands over their eyes is kind of like that next step. <laughs> And I was like, oh, this feels a little bit weird, but I was just like, you know, I'm going to do it. And I asked Zoe, I said, Ken, this is going to sound a little bit weird, can I, but can I put my hands over your eyes? Because I think God wants to do something here. And with her normal enthusiasm and exuberance, she said yes. Very, she was very keen on that. <laughs> <laughs> she was like a great person to do this prayer for. Like, yeah. And it was during, so I went and I put my hands over her eyes and almost like immediately I could see these scales on her eyes and the thing that stood out to me was, you know, the story of Paul when he goes blind and he get, and um, Ananias prays for him and these scales fall away from his eyes and he's, he's able to see. And that was what I felt God wanted me to pray over Zoe. And so I brought this to her, and again, it really resonated with her. Um, and all through that, like through that process of bringing it to her, I felt something in the spirit shift. And she seemed a lot lighter afterwards as we went through that process. The time I spent praying for Zoe, it was an involved process, and it required me to step out of myself. And it was one that God led me through. It can kind of be summed up by these two things. One, invitation. Zoe invited me to pray for her, and I then chose to invite God to take control. And two, obedience. God prompted me to place my hands on Zoe's eyes, but I had to choose to trust him, regardless of how strange I felt it might be. Without that follow-through, I wouldn't have known or understood the blessing God wanted to impart to Zoe. I have one final story that I want to share, which dates back to our Pentecost Sunday celebration, and I believe illustrates the way God spoke prophetically to me about the gifts he wanted to impart to Blueprint during this season. So before, like, that big, like, Zoom and people start turning up at people's houses, um, the leadership and a few of us who were um, prayers got together on Zoom to kind of, like, discuss the day and then pray into it. And as we were praying, I got this picture of a, um, as a beautiful silver spoon just drizzling honey. And that's all I saw was just silver spoon honey. And I was like, oh, that's really beautiful. Um, and I was like, oh, haven't had breakfast yet, though. Is this God or is this just my stomach? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
the great thing though was that I actually hate honey. So the <laughs> probability of me like fantasizing about honey is very low. <laughs> Which is helpful because who knew God could work through food preferences eh? <laughs> um, but it became clear as I descend into this picture that God was the silver spoon and the Holy Spirit was the honey. I didn't get too much more than that at the time. So I didn't actually share it with um, the crew who were praying. I decided to hold that throughout the day. Um, and yeah, it was just discerning. And as the day went on, it was kind of like a few things that come up maybe, but like we're still trying to find some meaning. And after the whole day was over, was chatting with another wonderful prophetic woman who lives in our house, Ari. And she had some really beautiful insight. And so I'm kind of going to sum up what the end result meaning of that picture was. Yes, the honey was the Holy Spirit and the silver spoon was God. But back in ancient times, honey was actually used to preserve. It was how they made food last. It was also used as medicine. It enriched and it healed. Um, and there had definitely been this theme during that time as well about we can no longer live by bread and bread alone. But that's the funny thing, you know, like you're just eating a standard piece of toast and it's toast, but the moment you put honey on it, it's something more. So yes, we can't live by bread and bread alone, but with the Holy Spirit, he's going to help preserve us, preserve the work that we do. And he's going to help heal us and help us to heal the communities that we're a part of.